Two guys. Two topics. Two, two, two. two opinions. You talk. Give me two. This is the split story of the day on 97.5, 1280 The Zone. And The Zone Sports Network. Towns is deep. Three. Got it. Oh, my goodness. Five feet behind the three-point line. Curl Anthony Towns stares down the basket as Quinn Snyder calls a timeout. And the Jazz are down six. Teague driving. Kick to the corner. Three ball from Martin. Good. Ball game. Minnesota running away from the Utah Jazz. I think our one-on-one defense. You know, I think uh, the simple things. I mean, obviously, Kyle hit a few threes. But I think... I think those threes were, I mean, it was pretty far behind the line. I mean, we played solid defense on him the whole night. But I think, you know, being able to, all of us, you know, stay in front of a man, uh, be a little more physical, and then, you know, get those rebounds and, and be able to go is uh, is big, especially with a stretch five, you know, because I'm, I'm not able to help as much as I usually do. So it's, uh, it's a little different. All right, not a terrific night last night for the Utah Jazz. They fall to the Andrew Wigginsless Minnesota Timberwolves, 112 to 102. And Gordon, I have dozens of thoughts on this game, uh, positive and negative. So I'm going to leave it to you. What are your initial reactions? And then I'll kind of bounce off. Well, what why don't you we? Got. Well, let's take turns. Okay, I'll go first. All right, when you shoot 36 percent from the floor, and you go over stretches where you. Uh, it doesn't matter how much good defense you play if you can't hit shots. And the Jazz went through a couple of spells where they just couldn't, couldn't, couldn't shoot it effectively at all. You notice toward the end of the first quarter when the Jazz had that lead, and then you know, they missed shots, they missed defensive assignments, they, they uh, turned the ball over, and next thing you know, Minnesota had the lead. And then down the stretch... That 24 to, what was it, 23 to 4 run? I mean, you can't win games like that. And the Jazz allowed that to happen. It was not a good night for the Utah Jazz, and Quinn Snyder said as much. So here's my initial take, Gordon. The reason they lost to Memphis wasn't that alarming to me. The reason they lost last night was. So let let me explain. Okay. Easy to explain the loss to Memphis. Rudy Gobert, when he was on the floor, his plus-minus was plus uh, was plus 10. Okay. Tony Bradley, who played with the second unit against Memphis as obviously the backup center mm-hmm. uh, in, I believe it was 10 minutes. I'd have to double-check. But his plus-minus was minus 11. The Jazz lost by one. Mm-hmm. They don't have their backup center in Ed Davis. The bench is a little bit short, and they really struggle struggle defensively when Rudy Gobert isn't on the floor. Surprise, surprise. Except for when Carl Anthony Towns is shooting over him for free. Now, here's the problem with last night. Is last night, the bench at the end of the first quarter of that stretch you were talking about, abysmal. It was terrible. Mm -hmm. But the bench at the end of the third quarter... Really good. They tightened that up. Jeff Green played better. Joe Ingles uh, played a little bit better. Moutier was good. Donovan was good with that lineup. The bench lineup held. In fact, they they built more of a lead when the bench was out there. Here's the alarming part, Gordon, and what you're getting to with the Carl Anthony Towns thing. The starting lineup failed last night, and that's a little bit concerning. The starting lineup had a chance to win the game in the fourth quarter, and they got dominated. Well, when Donovan shoots 5 of 24 from the field, what are you going to do? Right. I agree. But Donovan's picked the be- the the fourth quarter to play well so far this season. Mm-hmm. And and that didn't happen against Minnesota. And I'm not saying that that's going to be a trend. 
But but that's a problem, and not something we've seen this year, them get dominated like that in the fourth well, quarter. Let's look at your shooters. Donovan Mitchell, as I said, 5 of 24. Boyan Bogdanovich, 7 of 17, and he fouled out. Uh, Joe Ingles, 4 of 12. You can't win. The Jazz can't win like that. They might as well have had last year's lineup, only that would have been better because they could have played better defense and they could have rebounded better with the lineup they had a year ago. Now they have more offensive firepower, and when that doesn't come through, the, and, and if those guys don't do the job they're paid to do, which is make shots, then, then your team is kind of screwed. Now, I know there are other things you can add to that, but 36%, I'm sorry, that's just not good enough. So here's my my second observation that I'm going to get to, and this one is a little bit more minor and long-term, per se, Gordon. Royce O'Neal, shoot more, man. You're shooting the crap out of the ball. And he's, he's playing critical minutes. David Locke had a really interesting uh, uh, stat that he mentioned uh, multiple times on the broadcast last night. Uh, you know where Royce O'Neal ranks in shots per minute played in the NBA? Where? Dead last. Dead last. He takes well, the fewest shots for minutes played in the entire league. But he doesn't view himself as a shooter, I don't think. I don't, he needs to because he's shooting 48.3%. And, and granted, if attempts went up, that number is not going to hold at 483 right. He'd be defended. But probably. that's terrific. That is really, really good. And in that lineup, I can see why Quinn has finished with it at times. In that lineup with with Bogdanovich and Conley and Mitchell and Gobert, there's going to be shots for him because he's the guy you don't guard. Right. So I'd like to see him. I'd like to see him shoot more. And we talk all the time about Joe Ingles shooting more. Uh, that still needs to happen too. And I know he went four of twelve. But Royce O'Neal, for him to only have taken two threes last night, that's what's got to change. His attempts need to go up. Okay. Uh, I can buy into that a little bit. Not a lot. Because if he does shoot more, you're right. Those numbers are going to tumble. He gets a lot of wide open looks. He does. And he can make them. He's shown that he can make them. All right. What's the matter with Joe? Uh, Am I holding him to too high a standard? Because he's, you know, he got that $14 million extension. And we've watched him play. There are times when he does really smart things and does things that really helps the team, and there are other times when he just looks he looks casual out there. So, I mean, I and I'm going to sound like a broken record on this, but I think on the Joe Ingles show with DJ and PK, he's I think he's being pretty honest. Uh-huh. He's he's trying to figure this role out. Where where can he best affect the game? with the bench unit, and and the bench unit has been inconsistent, to say the least, because there's not as much talent on the bench. So he has to – is he a shot creator? Is he a shot taker? L- listen, let me let me give you an example. So Emmanuel Moutier right now in his game is a one-trick pony. He is going to the basket. And his, his finishing at the basket is even a little bit suspect at times. But he's he's not there to shoot. He's not taking any mid-range jump shots. He's not doing any of that. He's, he is – going his way to the basket every time. So he's a little bit limited right now, but he's he's playing, and he's, he's playing well at times. So how does Joe figure out how to best highlight Emmanuel Moutier while also, you know, getting the most out of everybody else? He's, he's the captain of that unit. Okay, all right. That's, that's good. And I think Joe is smart enough to figure that out. But how about making your shots? 
And he he needs to make more of those. There, I mean, there's no doubt about it. But it, I mean, it gets back to that comfort thing we've been talking about all season. But I, I and just people think may Joe, be tired of that. But it's a thing. Joe should be more comfortable than he is. Okay, in my opinion. Uh, but you know, I, I players go through these things. But this Jazz team is really playing at a level that is substandard for what they're capable of. Yeah. And part of it is the process. I get it. I asked. Uh, Quinn Snyder about that last night for a column I'm writing that uh, will be in in the Tribune later. Uh, but uh, it, and he said what I expected him to say. You know, there are so many ups and downs to an NBA season that you can't freak out over uh, low points. But the Jazz have had more than their fair share early on, even when they have won. They haven't necessarily looked uh, as crisp as we we figure that they can. And uh, I, if I were a betting man, I would bet that the Jazz, as the season progresses, will eliminate some of this stuff. Some of it is a natural progression. But meanwhile, in the West, where it's very, very tight, you are losing games that, that you should win. And in order to put yourself in the best uh, position for playoffs, these last two losses are bad. For the Jazz. They're better than both of those teams. And so to lose to them, I talked to Moutier last night, and, and, and I asked him about about that. And he said, if we want to be great, we have to give a full effort every single night. We're not going to always play our best, but we have to give a full effort. And Quinn Snyder said he liked the way the team competed last night, even though they were off a bit. But, it, but Moutier said something else that I thought was really interesting. He said, we got to keep our minds in the game. And I, I thought, okay, that is less excusable to me. Why, isn't, why aren't your minds in the game? And over those stretches we just talked about, it looked like the minds weren't in the game. Yeah. All right, Gordon, we've had a day to let the news settle. Kalani Sataki uh, signs a three-year extension with uh, with BYU. Uh, you and I both uh, have kind of positive thoughts about it. We both like Coach Sataki. I uh, think the program is headed in the right direction. But one thing, you know, now that BYU has invested in his future, I'd really like to see BYU invest in his future and, and invest in the football program, give him the tools that, uh, that they need to succeed. We talked a little bit about this with Tanner Mangum yesterday. You know, give them, give them the right of way at the old practice facility. Yeah. Uh, you know, invest in the program. And if uh, the schedules these next two years, if they're going to have success, they need all hands on deck. He's the right guy for the job. That's, uh, I mean, that is almost universal. There are some people who disagree, uh, but, but many people that you and I know, think this is the right move for BYU and it should help solidify his position in recruiting because players know he's going to be there. And from there, Kalani can use his talents and his charm, his character to uh, to convince uh, parents to let their kids come play at BYU. Um, but you're right, BYU has to do the other stuff in order to bolster the effort moving forward. I have a column up right now at sltrib.com uh, check it out uh, that's on this very subject. And it <laughs> it's BYU is just a quirky place. 
It's a different place, but it doesn't mean they can't attract a certain level of player. And we've seen that through the years, and recently we've seen that. There just haven't been enough of them to for BYU's results to match the expectations that the school and the fans have for it moving forward, especially with the schedules you mentioned. This is difficult. Lavelle's teams would have struggled against these, these kinds of schedules. Even his better teams would have struggled at times. Uh, so, so you need to support Kalani as he moves forward. Is Kalani smart? Check. Is he savvy? Check. Is he on top of uh, what's going on? Check. Only that is something he needed to learn. I, I indicate in the column uh, the interview that we did with him uh, after that bad season at the Cougar Seven, they went four and nine, and he really that really struck him deep, and he th- gave that a lot of thought, and he made some alterations moving forward, including hiring new coaches to better move the thing forward. And I expect BYU to be in good hands, but I don't necessarily expect them to have a winning record next year. Now here's the other side, and this this ties into your winning record next year. This is this is where Kalani's responsibility lies, okay? Because Kurt Heelan came on uh, with Hanson Scotty and and spit what I thought was was a little truth. And here's he's a voice. He lives down in South Florida. He writes for the Athletic, completely independent of everything going on. I thought he was right on the money. Kalani slash BYU. They need to go get better players. And I'm not saying that. I'm not trying to, to insult what they've got down there. They've got some fine players. But Kalani, if he's going to, to you know, succeed, he needs better players. And that's he where. He needs more better players. More, comma, better players. Because he needs to go they, get them. Yeah, they've got some. They just need more. And in my opinion, if that means uh, dumbing down some admission standards to get that JC guy that maybe, you know. Not your typical BYU student. No, I think that's what you got to go do too. But that's that might be uh, asking a lot. Believe me, this is a discussion that has been had over and over again. Do you know what most of the students at BYU are like now? Nerds. Is is nerd preferable to geek? I think they they both equally convey your point. Yeah, there's really high standards at BYU I mean, right now. There gotta, is. You've got to have such a good grade. you got to have, you got to have like a 30 on your ACT. I think that's the average and like a 3.9 GPA. I mean, it's tough to get in there. It really is. But if you want to play great football, you need to make some exceptions. And I think that has been a back and forth for quite some time. I don't know what Stanford does. I don't know what Vandy does. I, I, I don't know what other schools do. But BYU, it's tough to tough tough to get in that place and so if they want to be able to and and i know some of the football players aren't exactly at that level uh academically but if you strictly enforce that then byu is going to get kicked around for the next 50 years and here's what here's what i don't understand about that line of thinking because not not just at byu happens at a lot of universities with the the academics looking at athletics and kind of that i don't know if you want to call it rivalry or jealousy mm-hmm. you know what it, it 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 happens at a lot of places but but look at it this way one great thing about collegiate athletics and i realize that you don't value a college scholarship at all but <laughs> one thing is college sports has turned around a lot of lives 
a lot of folks out there who would never have get would never get the opportunity to to go to school at a place like BYU and really establish something special for their life to come can get that opportunity because of sports. And why can't you look at it that way? We're okay. Yeah. You know what? His ACT score was a, was a little bit lower than your traditional BYU student. But maybe here's a guy that can leave an impact on this university and really create a special life for his or, or herself through the medium of athletics. Why, why is that a negative why is that a negative? That seems to me like a huge, huge positive. And you know who talks about this a lot? Coach Mack talks well, about you this have to, a lot. Well, you, you have to discuss this with the people who are in positions of power as far as the administration goes down there. Because they're the ones. You've got, you got some administrators who are absolute nerds, too. Right. And they don't want to give up spots at the university, which are in high demand, to somebody who is not an accomplished student. And actually, that's why people should be so offended by the admission scandal that's going on throughout the country, because that made a mockery of sports where they're selling scholarships. Well, all about the money, man. Yeah, it's a complete, a complete joke, and why not enough people are overreacting about that. Because it should. It should be a pure thing. If you can play a little football, why not have an avenue to, to really benefit your life? I don't get Now, if, if you're so academically challenged, there's no way you're going to make it. Right. You know, maybe maybe that's another thing. But if we're talking about a, a a grad transfer that's missing a couple of math classes, come on. I have Let's talked, get real. I've talked to people who have gone to other schools in the state, I'll just say it that way, and have gone to BYU as well. And they say the classes down there, on the whole, not in every case, but on the whole, are extremely difficult. And so what do you have to do in order to, to, to make this a successful equation? You have to support those athletes, give them every bit of support. And whether you think that's fair or not, look, these guys are pouring a lot of time into trying to build BYU's football program, trying to do good things for the university, trying to make the university money and to represent well on the field so that, so that the owner of the university gets exposure that they, they want. And so give them some help as far as this. I agree with you. You don't want to bring athletes in who are going to fail. You got, they got to be able to at least uh, hang a little bit. And maybe if they take a little bit of a softer schedule, then they can better their lives like you were talking about as long as they can move on through and stay eligible. So I don't see a downside there. Because the, the people who are coming in to take those spots at the university are giving back to the university through their dedication, their hard work, their success. Yep. So bring them in. What's the big deal? Is that that hypocritical? Is that, is that not giving certain people a little bit of a break that they can move forward and help you as an institution? Well, there's that attitude out there that, oh, they're getting a free ride and all this stuff and it. I think it's foolish. And, I mean, there are more examples of it, obvious examples of it at Utah um, sometimes than BYU, or at least it's sticking out in my mind. But look at some guys like, look at like Devontae Booker. Look at that dude. I mean, struggled academically. Forged his own transcripts because his academics weren't good enough, which is a questionable moral decision, right? But you take a chance on a guy, you support him, he graduates all Pac-12, academic all Pac-12? I and, would, and stuck I, around an extra year to graduate, like that's such a that's such a great story of somebody who needed a second chance and absolutely ran with it. There is no way. This is my opinion. 
I can't completely back this up, but based on my experience in talking to people who would know, there's no way in hell that guy gets into BYU. Oh, no. Even if he was absolutely committed to following the honor code. Well, how about somebody like uh, Star Lotu Lale? And, and somebody may need to, to correct me on the backstory here, but he I was originally scheduled, scheduled to go to, to BYU. BYU. He goes to Snow and gets his academics at least into a place where he can get into Utah. He goes to Utah, and he's a not only a, a model citizen, but really flourishes, right? So, well, he's uh, had quite a nice run for himself but listen you know some universities are more difficult than others and if, if somebody you know isn't going to make it academically then you have to consider that but you also don't need to get in the way on purpose yeah well said but you know how it goes at university there will always be that conflict all right stay tuned more big show next 97.5 and 1280 the zone